I'm not getting as far as I put on your outline. I thought we were going to get a little bit further than we determined. We're going to get just verses 3 and 4 tonight. That's just going to be verse 4. But Jude describes the entrance of those who do not wish to help the body of Christ, but desire to bring it harm. And there are a lot of people who desire to bring harm to the body of Christ who sneak on in. This is what he's talking about tonight. They creep in. They sneak themselves in. They don't want anybody to notice who they are, what they are, what they're about. But we're going to take a look at the overall flow of the book. We went over the intro last time. Looked at the word preserved, as well as mercy, peace, and love. But that was our, our greeting, our intro, introduction. Here we're going to get into the, the, the meat of the passage as we start here tonight. Now there are uh, several passages throughout the New Testament where you'll find serious warnings about impending apostasy. Jesus warned that false prophets would arise and the love of many would grow cold and only those who endured to the end would be saved. That was over in Matthew 24. Paul foretold of many disciples being drawn away in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29 through 30. You can write that reference down if you want. It's not in your outline. It reads, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Peter warns of the a similar thing. He talks about the rise of false tr- teachers and how Many would follow their destructive ways in Second Peter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. But covetousness, or by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and the destruction does not slumber. Now, joining in with all this is John. He writes some warnings. There's three different places where he writes some warnings. We'll look at two of them. First John 2 and verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know this is the last hour. He goes on later on in chapter 4 and verse 1. If you want to just write that down, look it up later. But also in Second John, uh, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now Jude, as he tells us here, he was forced to change his original purpose to deal with a crisis. He was going to write about one thing and then he decided to, uh, to not and to write about something else. Now I wanted to give you just a, an overall outline of the of the book. That first off we have the greeting, which we covered last last time in verses one and two. Verses three and four, he gives the purpose for the for writing. Five, six, and seven, he gives God's judgment in time past. In eight through nineteen, he gives the character and doom of the false teachers. Twenty and twenty-three, he gives the exhortations to build up their faith. And he concludes in verses twenty-four and twenty-five. Now the time of this writing is a is figured to be somewhere around 67 to 70 A.D. There's a lot of similarities between Jude and 2 Peter. This may indicate that one was influenced by the other. 
If you were to hazard a guess, you would probably say that Jude was written after Peter because Peter talks about false teachers that will be coming and Jude talks about false teachers that have crept in. So it seems like Jude is writing about something that has already happened whereas Peter is writing about something that is about to happen or or will be happening. Uh, Peter died during the reign of Nero. Nero ended around 68 AD. And that places his uh, own epistle probably somewhere around 67. There was no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem. That occurred in 70 AD. And that would suggest that Jude wrote before that happened. So that's why the date is given probably in the range of 67 to 70 AD. Now we'll just read over the first two verses. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So he says he he found it necessary. This word is, uh, the the way this is uh, worded in the Greek, it's talking about a necessity that was laid upon him. This uh, this necessity was a it was a com- uh, compulsion or a compelling, a drive to. He was constrained to. In the when this is used in just Greek writing, it's talked about the this kind of compelling done by either force or threats or persuasion. We understand, of course, what he's talking about, and that's the compelling of the Holy Spirit, that he was taking his time and writing some some things about our common salvation, but then the Holy Spirit put some things on him with, with an urgency and he left the original writing to switch over to this one. But this one had an urgency to it. Now, when, it, when he writes here, Beloved, while I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Now, in this, we see... Two infinitives. The first is to write and it's in the present. So when he says to write to you, exhorting you to contend, that first one to write is in the present and speaking of a continuous action. The second is in the aorist tense implying an act performed at once. So the first one is in the present. The second one is in the aorist. This is implying an act performed at once. So we had contemplated writing them on one subject but was moved by the Holy Spirit to to write this one instead with all urgency. Now, the faith is not of an individual, but but of Christianity itself. Jude was compelled to write this letter to defend the Christian faith itself, not the fact that each one has faith and each one is to believe for things. So when you see that part of of faith, that's what he's, he's talking about. Now, when he gets here, contend earnestly, this is from a Greek word that is only found here. Now, I don't want to deceive you and think this is just the, the, the only evidence we have of this word. This is just a compound word. It has a, a certain uh, prefix on it, and that prefix is not found with this word and the way that this word is, is used in the, in the language. This is the only time that we see this. But the foundational word from this is... Uh, is one we get our word agony from. And so what it's used, and when it's used in the Greek, it's used to talk about athletes and how they would compete. 
And most of the things that they would compete for in the Greek, they didn't have football, they didn't have baseball, they didn't have basketball, had nothing like that. The biggest event they had was, was wrestling. And it's not like the wrestling that we have. It's not like wrestling with a referee who goes on out there and uh, talks about whistles for fouls or, or and has certain rules. Uh, two people get out there and they just wrestle each other until somebody dies. Or um, maybe the... Uh, might be some cases where they don't die, but if they don't die, it seems that because of um, uh, the way that they did things, they probably wouldn't be alive much longer after the fight was done. But you would contend here, you would agonize, you would you would go into this battle, this wrestling match, and it would use this particular word. So when he's talking about contending for the faith, he is not talking about uh, a, a contending... Just, uh, just mild. He's talking about all in. You throw everything at this that you can. Now, I thought if anybody was going to give me a real good picture of this word, it would be Rick Renner. Because Rick loves to dive, dive into some words like this. And I noticed that he not only never touched this word, he didn't touch the root of the word. And so I got my curiosity up. And I thought, well, let me just go on over there. And I t- pulled out all his stuff that he's got. And just looked up what he had in Jude. And you know, one of his, one of his volumes has no references to Jude at all. His other one has two references to Jude. Now, a number of, uh, uh, people I've seen that are commenting on this, they say that Jude is one of the, um, most avoided books in the New Testament, one of the most avoided epistles in the New Testament. And in fact, it was not the last book canonized, but it was among the last book canonized or recognized as having authority of scripture. I think James has the, the role of being the last book canonized because they saw James as so contrary to the rest of Scripture that they uh, it took them a while before they got hold of the fact that James was t- teaching the same thing just from a different perspective, and then they brought it on in. But I believe James was the last book that was canonized. But Jude was up there among the, the very last ones that was accepted as having scriptural authority. So he doesn't get a whole lot of respect here. So he says here, contend earnestly. This is the kind of effort that he says the Christians should use in defending the faith. If you go over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So he says, don't be afraid of the threats. He knows that people are going to come. They're going to make threats against you. And it's one thing when we have people who come in that are outside the church and they begin to threaten you. You're not going to be teaching on the things of God where you don't believe in God, and you kind of expect it from them. But Peter was warning people that they're, they're going to have people inside the church who are going to be threatening you because you're teaching certain things that are in the Word of God. And, and they don't want those things taught, and they don't want those things promoted into the body of Christ. And we sure see this a lot today, but they were seeing it back then in their day as well. So, Let's go back and look at our, the, the whole verse here. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concern, concerning our common salvation, that was his topic. 
and he was very diligent. He was setting himself about this thing to uh, to develop some some thoughts, to write down some some words to help them as far as their uh, common salvation was concerned. And he's putting this together, and then all of a sudden he found it necessary. He was compelled to write this letter instead, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now we always hear, no matter what day and age that you're in, there's always people who want to talk about unity. That, you know, we all must be, need, need to be united and, and stop fussing about all these doctrinal issues. And, and, you know, we got the Baptist over here and the Methodist over here and the, you know, all those different, different groups. And we just need to agree and just get together and we're, unite to fight a common enemy. But the reason that most of these denominations came up is because people stopped following the things that were in the Word of God and the different denominations that, that sprang up saw certain things as, as too important to just let them go. Now, of course, we know the, the, the Protestant movement was started out of the Catholic Church, and we know that Luther had a lot to do. Uh, he was the main one behind that. But many of the things that he put on his thesis that he nailed to the wall, we wouldn't agree with today. But he did. But it was different from the Catholic Church, and they felt that they had to, to stand up for those. And there was a number of things that were very good to stand up for, and things that had uh, corruption that had crept into the church, and he was standing up for those things. They were doing stuff like buying indulgences. If you wanted forgiveness of sins, well, then you had a... Uh, they started to sell indulgences. And so you would buy these things from the church to absolve people from sin. And uh, this is a way that they raise money. And so they didn't want somebody talking about it. They, they're talking uh, poorly about that because they wanted to be able to make this money. So they didn't like that aspect of it. And there was a number of other things that were in there as well. And he just was against these. So he wrote them all down and put them on up there. And, and then he was hidden out for a long period of time. But eventually the church had, had come about. Now, when you get into some churches that were started, they weren't started for good reasons. I mean, you know, the Church of England. Church of England was not started for a very good reason. The Church of England was started because King Henry VIII wanted to do some things that were considered to be immoral by the church. And so as he was being exhorted by the, the church, he said, well, I want to do these things, whether you want me to or not. And so they were going to use their their power as the, the church, the Catholic church, and they were going to excommunicate the entire uh, country, which would mean if you did that, they can't receive communion. If they can't receive communion the way the Catholic church taught it, Salvation was in, in the, uh, uh, the elements. And if you couldn't take the elements, then you would lose your salvation. So this, of course, would get everybody very upset. And so many people were upset with King Henry. And he realized that he would have a revolt in his hand if all the people uh, continued to go in the direction that they were. So he started the Church of England. And he said, we don't care what you do over there in, uh, in Rome. We're going to have our own church so that he could continue on with the immorality that he wanted to do and still have a church and everybody could still get communion. And so as long as they got communion, they were happy. <laughs> and so he was able to stave that one off. So not all denominations were started for good reasons, but many of them were. Uh, many of them had, had gone after God in certain ways and after a while, corruption began to set in and complacency began to set in. And so then there'd be a group of people within that denomination that said, we're, we don't want this complacency and we don't want these compromises. And so they rose up and they started their own group and they got rid of those compromises, things they saw as compromises, and they started up their, their own group. 
They went their own way. And that seems to be the way it is. There's only so much time that a denomination or a group of people who have a similar pattern of belief can hold to that before the corruption sets in. And then they go off and they start somebody, somebody new. But here he talks about, he says, look, this is necessary. We've, we've got the way of truth and we've got some people that are sneaking in right now. They are creeping in and they are trying to corrupt the very foundation of the faith. Now, this is what you need to do. You need to contend for this faith. You need to fight for this faith with everything that you've got. You cannot let these people come in and change this thing up. Now, I can't say this for everybody, but I will say that most people that push for the area of unity, that all, we all just need to get together, that they don't want to stand for anything and they don't want to contend for anything. So they would just take the book of Jude and throw it out. We don't need that book. We don't need this contending for faith. That's why we have this problem as it is. Everybody's uh, on a different page. And we can't have that. We need to all come back to the same page. And Jesus didn't seem to do that. You know, Jesus is our example. And he didn't come in there trying to bring unity. Let's just bring the Pharisees and the Sadducees together. He didn't try and do that. He called them both out for the things they were false on. And he's not adapting anything that they have that's false. He's not going to have a meeting with them and say, look, let's cut together. Let's try and compromise this thing. Um, let's see, let's put all of our cards on the table. I'll give this up if you give this up. Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus said, I got the truth. You need to line up with the truth. And this is how it is. And he contended for the faith. But there are other people who came and contended against him for those things that were not of the faith. And we're going to see the same thing here today. There are some that are that are not foundational to the faith and we don't have to contend for those. But there is an awful lot of things that we need to contend for. You know, end times teaching is something I get passionate about and I, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy people knowing what it is that the Word of God actually teaches on this. But if we have somebody who says, no, I believe the, that uh, Jesus isn't coming back until after the tribulation, that's fine. You want to believe that? Go ahead. That's not going to uh, hinder me from fellowshipping with you. But you may have some people who will, will creep into the church and people are free to worship. People are free to lift their hands and to sing. And then all of a sudden people start creeping in to get themselves some position. And well, we don't want any more of that hands lifting up stuff. And we don't want any more of this, uh, this worship that just keeps on going on. We just want three verses and three songs and that's it. And there's some compromises. Well, no, we want to be able to worship God freely and to be able to express everything that's in the inside of, of us. Well, there'll be no more of that dancing stuff in church. No more shouting. And they'll come along for that. That's something that we would contend for. So we have to uh, figure out where we draw the line on and what kind of things that we begin to do. What kind of, of things are important. You know, if somebody came in here and they were baptized in a church that's sprinkled. Well, I don't, I don't like sprinkling as opposed, uh, com, you know, compared to immersion. I think immersion is scriptural. I think if you're going to get baptized, you need to get baptized the way they did it in the Bible. And there was no sprinkling. And they just put people under and brought them back up. And, and that was it. But I'm not going to be one who says, well, if you only got sprinkled, then forget it. You just, you're not baptized. No, that's, that's fine. If you want to get rebaptized again and, well, this time I want to be immersed, that's fine. Go ahead and do that. But I'm not going to stand up there and say, no, in order for you to be saved, you have to be immersed. No, I was in the, I think I told you this before, but I was in a church where this was a dispute 
where uh, people were either baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or they were baptized in the name of Jesus only. And this was a dispute in this particular church. And so the pastor, he had his way of, of getting around this. And so whenever he baptized people, he said, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so he, he covered it all. Um, and that was good. It's not a, I, I wouldn't ever sit down and question somebody who came down, wanted to be a member of the church and, and say, well, I have to straighten out a couple of things. First off, were you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or were you baptized in the name of Jesus? And depending upon their answer and what our stand was on it, I said, well, we have to redo that. So that's not something that I think is, is worth compromising on or, or, or worth contending on. That's not something. But there are some things that we need to contend for. I would contend that Jesus is the healer. If I got amongst a group of people and they don't believe that Jesus is the healer, well, fine, you're probably saved, but I'm not having fellowship with you. If I go to go someplace to fellowship on Sunday morning, I'm going to fellowship with people who believe like I do, that Jesus is the healer. If there's people who don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, well, that's fine. You're probably saved, going to heaven. But I don't choose to have fellowship with you because I want to have fellowship with people who believe that the Holy Spirit is alive, active, and working in the, the people today. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to fight you over it, but I'm going to contend for these things that I know are true. So, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. So he's exhorting them to contend. He wants them to contend. Don't just, don't just back down to this stuff. These are things that you need to stand for and there are forces creeping into the church that are trying to turn these things. So I'm exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. There's a faith that was delivered to us. We need to hang on to it. Stay with it. In verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed. See, when they creep in, they don't want to be noticed. They want to just get in there and start establishing their their uh, their presence. If you have a uh, another country and you're at war with them, then you want to have a spy. You put some spies in there. The first thing you need is those spies just to be normal and just kind of live life the way that it's going and uh, don't do anything to stick out. And then after you've been in there for a while and people have accepted you as being just one of the crowd, now you can begin to do the things that they wanted you to do as a spy, whatever that might be. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this word here, crept, means to enter in by the side. Uh, para is the, is the prefix on this word. It means beside. Ice is in. It, uh, Vine says to insulate oneself into, to insulate, I'm sorry, to insinuate oneself into by stealth to creep in Stealthily. So we don't want anybody to, to realize that you're coming in until it's too late and you're on it. That's why we have the stealth fighter and the stealth bomber. We want them to be able to sneak in undetected by radar until all of a sudden it's too late. They are upon you and you can't do anything about it and they're able to execute their mission. That's what the whole idea of the stealth, stealth fighter is. 
Of course, what will happen is they just push radar to go to another level. And so then radar will go into another level, and so then they'll have to go to another level of stealth. Because what we have right now that we consider to be stealth aircraft, in uh, some years, radar will be developed that will pick them up. And so they're going to have to come up with another type of uh, stealth to come in. And it's always going back and forth between the defense and offense, developing the offense. Well, now we've got to develop the defense. You develop the defense, and we got to get a better offense to be able to get in there. And this is what the, the people are doing. They're creeping in, unaware. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if he ministers, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now this word refers to, this word transform, it's used three times in this passage, transforming themselves first, then transforming himself, speaking of Satan, and then once again transforming themselves, in verse 15, speaking of those of his ministers again. It refers to an individual changing his outward expression to appear as something different than what he truly is. We know that you won't accept them as they are. You won't accept that evil that is there. So we have to transform himself. So Satan realizes that when he fell and the evilness that is in him, that people won't come after him because of that evilness. They won't come after him because of, of the lies that are inside, because of the hate, because of the darkness. They won't come after him for that. So he has to transform himself and make him look like something else. And so the Word of God says he transforms himself into an angel of light. He appears to be one who is bringing light, but he's bringing darkness. But he's able to transform himself to be able to do that. So he says these false apostles, these deceitful workers, they are transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So they pass themselves off. We are apostles of Christ. Just as Paul's an apostle, just as Peter is an apostle, we are an apostle as well. Paul brought out a new message, a message of grace. He, he brought out a message of the church. We're here to bring out a message as well. We are an apostle and whatever it is, they would list their, the, the thing they have, the revelation they have. And they would say, we're here to do this. And so they have uh, been in among them themselves. They've seen them in the church services. And so they've accepted them as one of their own. And when they see that God has given them revelation, well, they're presented as God has given us revelation, they accept them as apostles of whatever it is that they're apostles of. And so Jude is saying, look, just as Satan himself transformed himself, so too these folks have to transform themselves. They have to become something that people will accept, that people will like. And this is why a lot of times, you know, you, you watch the movies, you watch the we don't watch those, those crummy movies, but you know we turn the Hallmark movies on or some other ones. Some nice little message there. And there's always the the creep guy, or the the evil woman, and they're always trying to uh, seduce or to pull away or to present themselves as being one way. Now, not all movies have that kind of a villain in it, but a lot of them will have that type of a villain. And while they are in front of someone, they present themselves as as this way. But there's always times when their hair is down, so to speak, 
and they expose themselves for who they are and what they are and what their intentions are. Now, we are watching the movie and we stand by on the outside and we look at this and say, oh, no, don't fall for this. She's not being truthful with you. He's not being truthful with you. He's just trying to, to swing you on over and to, to bring you on in. I saw, I think I've mentioned this before, but I, in some of those uh, Disney movies, they have little clues that they, that they put around before the thing. And there's uh, one, how many people have seen Frozen? Anybody not seen Frozen? All right, a couple of you haven't seen Frozen. If you didn't see it, that's, you know, don't go back there and, and watch the thing. It's, you kind of have to have a little kid around to, <laughs> to have reason to, to watch it. But I, didn't, I watched the thing when I with the little kids, and that was one of the first movies we showed a, a little girl when she was real little. And I just remember her face. She just watched that TV, and that oh, she just was mesmerized by this thing. She was real young, but just mesmerized by this, uh, what was going on the TV. So we watched Frozen a number of times, and I don't know how many times that I saw it, but I never uh, observed this until later on it was pointed out that the villain in the in the movie uh, had... Uh, uh, they, they did a cute little thing with him. He wore gloves. He always wore gloves. Throughout the entire movie, he wears gloves. They said, except one time. And once you go back and you, you hear that and you go back and you watch it, because you know, after I heard that, I went back and I'm watching this thing. I wanted to see what happens here. And we get to that spot and there was one place inside the, the movie where he reveals who he is. And up until then, you didn't know. He did a real good job of Pretending to be something and pretending to be in love with the, with the princess and to have good intentions and all that. And then as he's in the room and he's preparing to make sure that the princess dies, he begins to take off his gloves. And he unfails the entire thing, his whole purpose. And you sit there, it's the first time you're watching, and you sit there and say, ah, I didn't see that this guy was so evil. And then after he gets done and he does, sets all the thing up for the princess to die, before he goes out the door to see everybody, he puts the gloves back on. Because the gloves symbolized him hiding who he was. And this is what Jude is saying to these people, these people here. There are people in your midst and they're hiding who they are. They have an ultimate purpose. But you, and you need to see through this. And you need to get upset about this. And you need to contend for the faith. Because these people have snuck into your congregations. They've gained the trust of some of the people that are there. They haven't exposed who they are yet. They haven't exposed what their purpose is yet. But they're in there. Now Peter is saying they're coming. Jude is saying they're there. And this is what they're going to do. In fact, they'd already unveiled some of their purposes. But some of the people were buying into this purpose. They were buying into the thing they were selling. And he's writing them and says, I was just kind of taking my time writing this letter to you. And then all of a sudden this urgency fell on me that I had to write this thing now and send this out to you. You need to contend for the faith because you've got people that have crept into your church and they have brought with them Things that come from the kingdom of darkness. And just as he transformed himself into an angel of light, they have transformed themselves into ministers of righteousness. And they are not. They have transformed themselves into apostles of Christ. But they are not. They are apostles of Satan. And there are people in the body of Christ that have accepted them in this way.
Now we know that Satan becomes an angel of light. We know this from other places in Scripture. No one would accept him if they saw who he was. But he comes in and deceives people. Satan must appear as God in order to be worshipped. His desire is to be worshipped. If we saw him in all his evil, in all the, the darkness that was around him, people wouldn't worship him. They'd stay away from that. But he presents himself as God in order to to be worshipped. Go back to verse 4 again. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. God knew they were coming long ago. And he marked them out. That word there, marked out, actually could be translated ordained to write before. And God said, these guys, they have been ordained. They have been marked out. They have been set apart for this kind of a judgment because God knew this is the purpose they're going to follow. This is the deceit they're going to bring into themselves. And this is the purpose they are to follow. Because they have decided to follow that purpose, they have been marked for destruction. So you guys ought to be able to see that God has marked them. We should be able to see that. But it's amazing how many Christians can look upon these folks and just, oh, they're so good. All oh, the anointing on them. All oh, the teaching that I get from them. Oh, it's so wonderful. But it's not true. It's not right. And God says, I've marked them. If we follow after the things of God, we should see the mark that God has put upon them. And say, no, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna follow after that. I'm not gonna go in that direction. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God, the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now because of some of the wording in the Greek and some, there's some di- discrepancy on some of the manuscripts, but the end of this verse seems to be talking about, about God the Father and then God the Son. God the Father, the only Lord God would be God the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ would be God the Son. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into, into lewdness. Now when it says here, ungodly men, this is talking about people that are destitute of reverential awe toward God. They have no awe toward God, they have no reverence to God, but they will pretend to have all. But you see, if you don't, if you don't genuinely have this awe, this respect for God, somewhere in there it's going to come out. You're going to speak as you normally would. And that will, you can't cover it up all the time. I remember when I was uh, uh, in a church, I was in a position at the, at this particular church, and I was getting ready to leave it and to go off and do other things. But there was this one person who had come in into the the church and um, we differed, he and I, we differed on a number of different doctrines. And he would frustrate me on on a lot of these things. But um, from the time that he came in, he talked about the president of my school, Brother Hagen, and how much he respected him and how much he thought uh, very highly of him. And he talked about some of the things that he taught. I, I didn't... I didn't uh, solicit that from him. 
I didn't say that, you know, I needed to say, what do you think of, uh, of this guy? And if your opinion is not all that good, I never asked anything about that at all. He was somebody who meant something to me, whether he meant something to him, didn't matter to me at all. But he, uh, on his own, just kind of offered that up. And um, I said, well, that's fine. And we just kind of went on. And as I was getting ready to leave, I remember um, I came up to the office that he was in, and he was meeting with the pastor's son at the time. And I was getting ready to knock on the door to go and discuss something with him. And just as I was, I heard Brother Hagin's name mentioned. So I stopped. I'm not going to knock. I'm going to listen. I don't know why. I just thought I would just listen. And so I listened to him, and I heard from his own mouth, his own words, I think that Brother that Kenneth Hagin is the biggest heretic that has ever come into this country. I said, hmm. well, that's not what he said to me at all. And, uh, and I listened to the rest of the conversation, and it was very, very good. And I could tell from that that uh, their opinion of me was very much wrapped up into it, even though they presented one way to me, they were feeling another way. And this course came about because once I left the church, I had uh, started a bookstore. The pastor had always wanted a bookstore. I knew that he always wanted a bookstore, so I started a bookstore. We got everything going. We had stuff in there. And we had all kinds of materials from Brother Hagin and Brother Copeland and you name it. They were all in there. And the day I left, he and the pastor's son went through the bookstore, cleaned out all the faith materials, and threw them in the dumpster. Dumpster right out back in the church. Somebody came and told me about it. You don't know what they did to the bookstore when you left. All that faith material was tossed. They just couldn't wait for me to go. To be able to, to execute that. But see, I never asked them to, to think one way or the other on Brother Hagin. He meant something to me. Whether he meant something to anyone else didn't matter to me. Uh, if you don't like him, that's fine. You find some people that you like. And uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. But you see, they, they had to present a certain thing about themselves. They had to present a certain certain way. And it was a shame because my the, the son of the pastor and I, we had been through a lot of battles together. There were a lot of things that came into that church and a lot of things we had to do. And uh, there were some of the battles I had to fight. And he came up and said, I'll, I'll be right there with you. And so the two of us went into that battle and <laughs> none of them were easy. And none of them were, were easy at all. And he had another one. He's, he has to do, do this. No choice. We have to do this. And I'll go in there with you. And so we would do a lot of these things and we would, we would, uh, help each other. And then they, those people that we had to stand against, they would go around, they would badmouth us. They would say all sorts of stuff. Reasons that we did this or other thing. And you know, you're tempted to just get up there and just say, well, hold on a minute. Here's all the things they did. But you don't do it. And so we just kind of were encouraging for each other. And we had done all these different things, but this one had snuck in. And he turned stuff around and people that I, that we had worked together with uh, had gone in a completely different direction. And they weren't people I could trust anymore. They weren't people I could work with anymore. And I don't see them to this day. We don't, uh, we don't have any connection. Well, that person who I had the big connection with, completely out of ministry now, doesn't uh, do anything with, the, with God at all. And you know, if he goes to church, he just, uh, he, he walked away from everything. I think that the church... Eventually, he got tired of some of the stuff that was going on, and that uh, that wasn't too long. Well, it was long. It was a lot longer lived than I thought it would be have have been. But you see, this is what happens: they creep in. They try to pretend that they are one thing, and then they become something different. 
on this particular situation, the same one before I left, uh, I sat there with this, this uh, person I was telling you about. And he came into my office and we were talking about things. And you see, the pastor's son had a divorce on his record. He was divorced. And the pastor always wanted to see him become something in the church and to, to have positions and do things. And, and um, I never had any problem with that because, all right, he was divorced and he repented of it. And, you know, things, wished certain things wouldn't have been done. And, well, that's fine. And he was remarried and they were, they were doing quite well together. Well, I had no problem with it. Well, this particular person I knew had a problem with divorced people being in ministry. And so I asked him, what are you going to do with so-and-so? And he said, well, he'll have to be removed from all positions. And he told me the plans that he had for him. I don't know why he revealed himself there. I, to this day, I've pondered over that and said, why in the world would he reveal that? And I, I couldn't figure it out. I'm on my way out. He's on his way to taking over the church more and more. Why would he, why would he do this? And so I was, I was stuck because I knew what the pastor's goal was. And here this one is sneaking in and he was going to undermine the very essence of what the pastor wanted to have going on at the church. And so I just didn't know what to do. And so eventually I just said, well, I guess I have to let, let the pastor know. So I met with the pastor. I says, do you know that the intentions of this one is to do this with your son? No, I have no idea about that at all. I said, I didn't either. He told it to me. And so uh, I just let her go with that. Well, I got confronted in a hallway by the pastor, the elder board, this particular person, and they all come, why did you say this about so-and-so? I said, because you said it. <laughs> I said, I even made you repeat it. And you repeated it. And he, he stood there to my face and said, I never said that. And... Um, See that, but this, but this gave me a good picture, because I have that picture. It burns inside of me. I, I know to look for this, because I know the destruction, I know the harm that this one did to that church, sneaking in and pretending to be one thing. That's what they do. They will sneak in and they will try. And this is what he is trying to warn them about right here. Understand that ungodly men, people who have no reverential awe toward God. They don't look to God. They're going to profess it. They're going to say to people, oh, we reference God. Oh, we worship God. They're going to be in the service. They're going to raise up their hands. But inside, their hands are not up. They're going to be singing words of worship to God. But inside, they're saying, I can't wait to get out of this. Because I don't see God as someone who needs, who deserves reverence and all. But I need to pretend to be in order for people to believe me. So this is what he says, ungodly men. He says that they would turn. Let me read that verse again. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness. That word there for turn means to place among, to put in another place. It has the word meta, which means, which implies change. Metamorphosis, we get our word from that. It implies a change. And uh, tithemy, which means to put. And Vines puts this with it, to place among or to put in another place. Basically, to transpose the grace of God for lasciviousness. The word there for, for lewdness is there to put this lewdness in place of God's grace. This is a person of no restraints, one who does whatever they want to do. 
They don't acknowledge restraints. They go with whatever it is that they wish to do. They pervert the grace of God. And this is this is not just in Jude's day. This was some going on so much in our day. We have the ultra grace people who you can do whatever it is that you want. Because whatever you do in the body doesn't affect the, the, the spirit. That's Gnosticism. That was going on in the New Testament days and still to a degree you're going to see it infect a number of other things. That whatever you do with your physical body has no effect upon your spirit. Your spirit is separate. So your spirit is saved even though your body may be doing the these things, and so they're just making this this way. There were different people who've uh, preached this ultra grace that there's always more grace than there is sin. They kind of take some of the scriptures and they twist it. They were doing this in his day. They're going to do it in our day. These are ungodly men. They have no reverence or awe for God who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They turn all this grace of God into, into just do whatever you want. If it feels good to you, go ahead and do it. If you want to worship God this way, go ahead and do it. It doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. And they deny or disown the Father and the Son. This is used of followers of Jesus who for fear of death or persecution denied their union with Him and deserted the cause. That's the at some of the places where you'll see this word deny. So here we get in the book of Jude, this is the first time we're going to see this, three distinguishing features. These three distinguishing features, this theme is going to occur four more times in this one short letter. But here's three distinguishing features of these that are sneaking in. First off, they are ungodly, they are irreverent to the things of God. They are lawless. There is no law that holds them bound because they want to engage in whatever lewd practices that they want to do. And they deny the Lord or they disown the Lord because they want to go in their own, their own direction. Now what is false is always destructive. We cannot bring anything into our life that is false that will not result in some destruction. Whatever it is that we bring in. This is going to result in some kind of destruction. Some may only have a little bit of destruction. Some may have a lot of destruction. But how many of you know people in the body of Christ who are zealous in their love for God but have adopted certain things that are not true? Certain things that are false. And because they brought that false thing into their life, it brought a certain amount of destruction. It may be something that, well, Jesus doesn't heal all. It's the will of God that some people get sick. Well, that's false. They bring that into their life. They're still saved, but doesn't there come along with some kind of destruction into their life? And if, if we go on, and, and if I believe something false about our brother or sister in God, if I believe something that is false, they didn't say it, they didn't believe it, they didn't think it, they didn't do it, it brings a destruction into my life. There's a destruction in that relationship. There's a destruction in the things that God can do. Whatever it is that we bring in that is false will have some type of destruction that it will render into our life. This is why we need to be on guard against it. Now Jude saw these particular things as greatly destructive. Not just a little bit destructive. He saw these as greatly destructive. Which is why he had that urgency. Write this letter. Get this into their hands. 
Now, the sooner we recognize it, the less destruction it can do. If I bring something in that's false, and I recognize it right off the bat, and get it out, it can't do a whole lot of destruction. It can't, it can't do, there are some people in my life, this one brother I was telling you about, I didn't recognize right off the bat the destruction that he was capable of. And it caused some damage. But the sooner we recognize it, the less destruction it can do. This is why they creep in, this is why they sneak in, because they know if, if people see who I am, if they see what I'm about, it's not gonna work. Destruction is, is certain if, if they are not exposed. You've got to expose them. They've got to be brought out. People got to, to see this. This is why Jesus exposed the Pharisees. This is why Jesus exposed the Sadducees, the lawyers, the different ones that would, that would operate in a certain way. This is why he exposed, he didn't just contend with them on their own. He exposed them for who they were because if you don't expose it, the destruction will continue. I think I wrote this down for you on your outline, but this is why we must put the light of the of the word on them and contend with them, but not receive them. I got to take the the light of the word of God and shine it on there. This is this is it. This is what's going on, and contend with them. The word of God talks about spirit of antichrist being around in the New Testament era, and it said in the last days it would get even stronger before the antichrist would come. There's been several times in the course of the years here at church that we've just taken a spotlight of what Antichrist is. And we've just shown a spotlight on it. Sometimes when I've done that, I've gotten some people mad. I know some people told me. I got mad at that. I didn't like that. I didn't like who you're pointing the spotlight at. I can't get concerned about who people get concerned or point, uh, point at me. Don't, don't point this one out. I don't agree with that. I show the light. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Spirit of Antichrist is the same. It's the same in the Old Testament. It's the same in the New Testament. It's the same today. It does the exact same things. It's very easy to see. It's not hard to, to see. If you have a mouse in your house, how do you know? What's the first sign that you usually get because there's a mouse in the house? Little black stuff all the way. <laughs> little, little black poops that they leave all over the place. As soon as you see those little black things, you know exactly what's in the house, don't you? And you don't want them in the house. And the uh, uh, the little ones, Chenzo and Lissy, um, they had uh, uh, discovered that there was a mouse in the house. And we were over there at that time, and so they were all concerned, oh, we got to do something about the mouse. we got to get the mouse. And so they, they set up a trap, because, you know, Papa and Mama, they're not about to have a mouse in their house for any length of time. So as soon as they're always looking for the signs, and if you see the sign, you know, no matter what you do in your house, the mice just try and get in when it starts to get cold outside. They just try and find their way in. And you gotta be on the lookout for them. And when they get in there, well, they were all prepared. They had these little traps set up. So they set up some traps, put some peanut butter on them. And the next day, I get a phone call. It's a little girl. She's calling me up to say, we got them! Oh, she just was so happy to describe the entire picture of this mouse being caught in the in the trap and how this trap got hold of him and just clamped right down over his neck or something like that and his eyes were bulging out and a little bit of his brains were starting. To, she just was enthralled with this. So I said, well, send me a picture. So they took a picture and sent it over. Oh, yeah, I can see where that's going on. Oh, she just was excited. 
Couldn't wait to get the thing out in the, in the house and into the trash. Just, uh, just glad. But you see, they saw the, they saw the, the, the traits. They saw the remnants. They were there. One after it immediately. Bam! They got it. Didn't even, didn't even last in there a day. And that took care of that sucker. Uh, this is what we need to do. You need to know the signs of ones that are following after the spirit of Antichrist. The signs of those that are following after the spirit of darkness. And if you know the signs, then as soon as you see it, you contend for the faith. No, this is not going on here. This is not happening here. We're not going to have this stuff going on. They will cite the need for unity. This is what these people will do. They hide behind this thing for unity. They'll cite it. We all need to be united. We all need to be get together. We have to fight the uh, the powers of darkness. Well, how can you fight the powers of darkness with somebody who's teamed up with them? But they'll cite the need for unity. We need to have a higher understanding. We're walking on too low of an understanding. We've got to move into a higher level of understanding. And, and I have that under, higher level of understanding. And I want to pass that higher level of understanding off to you. We must be open to fresh ideas. We've all been too stale. Following after the same old ideas. No, the, there's new revelation out there. God's given us new revelation. He's opened up new ideas for us. We need to follow after these things. But all these claims are just to cover up their purpose and their desired end. Their purpose is to disrupt the body of Christ. Their purpose is to bring in schisms, division. Their purpose is to corrupt what is true and to damage those that are following after God. You get enough damage done, you can cause some of these people to not follow after God. This particular brother I told you about, after I had left the church, I'd heard of several people that not only did they damage, but caused them to just completely leave the things of God. Left the church... Won't go to a church again. Won't step foot in one. That, uh, this is, this is the way. This is, this is their purpose. This is what they are out there to do. And this is why Jude says you gotta be on the, on the ball. You gotta be watching these folks because they're out there. They're, and their desire is to creep in. One of the roles of a, of a pastor is to watch over this. And sometimes I, I watch over and I look at certain ones and, hmm. <laughs> now you want to be able to help some people that are caught up into some things, but not to the harm of the congregation. So some of those people, you do some things and uh, let's see if they're just in those things because they're ignorant. Let's just see if they're in those things because they love them and they're following after this. And you you try and uh, help out what you can. But they are out there as they were in Jude's day. They are in our day. Don't fall for the thing of unity. Don't fall for a higher understanding of Scripture. Don't fall for being open to fresh ideas. Stay with what the Word of God says. Understand what the Word of God is teaching. And revelation is progressive. God is taking the revelation that you have now and He's building upon it. But false teachers, they need you to leave the revelation that you already have in order to embrace the revelation that they have. We should never have to leave what we know to be true to walk into something that's more true. That should never be the case. And so this is one of the reasons that Jude is so adamant about this and is so strong in this area. And as we pick up here next week, we will get into verse 5 and some of the things about angels. I think we told you that some stuff with Michael will come out and, and bring that out. That looks like it's about two weeks away. I think next week we'll be talking about some of the uh, judgment that comes upon different ones. And then uh, after that, we'll be 
beyond the departs with Michael and Satan, so forth. Well, Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is such a light to us. We know that there are those who desire harm for the body of Christ. It's hard for us to believe that they would pass themselves off as apostles of righteousness. But they do. But you have given us the ability to see through whatever disguise they have. Just as Jesus saw through it, just as Paul saw through it, just as Peter saw through it, you help us to see through. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.